This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a program about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each conversation, I talk to two readers about one novel, and together, we summarize the story for you. We'll introduce you to the characters, tell you what happens to them, and we'll read from the book along the way. At the end of our conversation, I talk to our researcher, Ted Schwartz, for EndNotes. Ted always has something interesting to tell us about the novel and the author. So, if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Today, I'll be having a conversation about the novel Anthem by Ayn Rand. And I'll be joined in conversation by our Novel Conversations readers, Joan and Patrick Andrews. Joan, Patrick, hello. Hello, Frank. Hi, Frank. Joan, Patrick, before we get started, let me read a brief introduction to today's novel, Anthem. Okay. Written by Ayn Rand and first published in Great Britain in 1938, Anthem is the story of Equality 72521, a young member of an unnamed collective. Self-aware and self-centered, Equality 7, 2521, believes in individualism and rejects the collectivist society around him. Once he finds evidence of knowledge now lost to his community, he relentlessly pursues his own interests to the clear detriment of his collective membership and his own life. How Equality 7, 2521 confronts his community and their entire way of society, while attempting to recover that lost knowledge and attain personal satisfaction, makes up the story of our novel, Anthem, by Ayn Rand. Now, Joan, with that brief introduction, let me ask you, is this the first time you've read Anthem? Well, in preparation for this discussion, I actually read it a couple times. It's really, really short. But before we decided to read it, I had only heard of Anne Rand's big books. I didn't know about this one. You're right. This book is really barely a novella. In my edition, it's 70 pages, but there are some huge ideas in those 70 pages. She gets a heck of a story into just 70 pages. Yes. Patrick, let me ask you, is this the first time you've read Anthem? Well, yes and no. Yes, it's the first time I've read the book Anthem, but as you were mentioning the length of it, some of Rand's characters and Atlas Shrugged have entire speeches which are longer (laughs) than this book. Yes, she does. (laughs) So in one sense, having been familiar with Atlas Shrugged and The Fountainhead, you see a very common theme and you can see how those novels were extrapolated from the idea in this novella. Patrick, I completely agree with you. But for readers who are not ready to tackle her thousand page novels, I think Anthem is a fantastic introduction not only to her and her style, but also her ideas. I agree. It's really an interesting read, too, because you pick up this book, it's so thin that you think it has to be kind of a light little story. And yet, by half of page one, you know that there's not a lot of lightness in this book. Joan, you're absolutely right. And it always amazes me when we read great writers how they can transport us to their world in just three or four quick paragraphs. And I hope it's only in these books that we ever get transported to this world. Well, fortunately for us, we are their ancient history. That's right. I guess according to Equality 72521, we're actually living now in the unmentionable times. <laughs> All right. Our novel begins, It is a sin to write this. It is a sin to think words no others think, and to put them down upon a paper no others are to see. It is base and evil. Patrick, what's going on here? Well, Frank, we've met our main character, who is Equality 72521. That's his name? That is apparently his name. And he's sitting alone in a dark tunnel, lit only by a flickering candle, writing the words which you just read. And in doing so, sort of accusing himself of the worst crime that can be committed in his 
community or his society, which is to be alone and to have private thoughts. Now, Joan, Patrick said there was only one man in this tunnel writing, Equality 7, 25, 21. But he keeps writing things like, we know that we have broken the laws. May we be forgiven. This is a sin upon us. Yeah. Apparently, in this community where Equality 72521 lives, it's such a sin to think of yourself as yourself that no one does. Everyone considers themselves a we. In fact, it's cut in marble over the Palace of the World Council. We are one in all and all in one. There are no men but only the great we. That's right, and the way our character thinks is made very clear to us when he describes himself to us. He says, our name is Equality 72521. We are 21 years old. We are six feet tall. And actually, Joan, Patrick, before we go any further, just for our conversational purposes, let's refer to Equality 72521 as he instead of them just to make it a little easier for us to have our conversation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, then, Patrick, as Equality 72521 continues to write about his history, what do we learn about him and his society and his time? We learn that there is a world council that seems to run everything, that people seem to live in the home of the infants, the home of the street sweepers, and the home for the old ones. So we are getting the picture of a sort of communistic or communal society where everyone is supposedly equal, and individualism is the greatest sin. He describes his early life by saying, We remember the home of the infants where we lived till we were five years old, together with all the children of the city who had been born in the same year. The sleeping halls there were white and clean and bare of all things, save 100 beds. Right, and then after he's five, or after they're all five, they're sent to the home of the students where they get some sort of education for 10 more years. And this is how he describes the home of the students. The sleeping halls were white and clean and bare of all things, save 100 beds. Right, so, so far life hasn't been too exciting. Well, there are those 100 beds. Mm -hmm. But then after 15, the Council of Vocation gives them a job, and they move into the job they're going to have for the rest of their life until they go to the house of the old, which is when they're 40. And actually, Patrick, it's during this time when Equality 72521 is waiting to be given his vocation that we really learn the extent of his transgressions to this community. He's been thinking about what he wants to do as a vocation. That's right. Not only does he stand out physically because he's much taller. That's right. Even his teachers are mad at him because he's so much taller than his so-called brothers, as if there was something he could have done about it. In fact, they say there's evil in your bones for being so tall. He also stands out intellectually because he is bright, he is inquisitive, and he knows what he would like to do, what interests him. And what vocation is it that he would like to be given? Well, he loved the science of things. The whys. How things work, why they work. Even when he was learning that the earth is flat and the sun revolves around it. <laughs> he just wanted to know why. That's right. Right, so he'd love to go to the home of the scholars where he could learn how to make candles from string and wax and how to make glass to put into windows to keep the rain and the wind out, <laughs> which gives us an idea of the technological level at which this story is set. It certainly does. You mean the lack of technology. <laughs> That's right. Well, Joan, what does the council in their inimitable wisdom of bureaucracy do with this smart, sharp, inquisitive, tall boy? Well, they send him to the home of the street sweepers, of course. They didn't even make him a cook or a carpenter? They didn't even send him to the house of the leaders, which is the greatest house in the city because it has three stories. <laughs> right, but actually, Equality 72521 is somewhat relieved and happy at this choice. Yeah. Well, now, Patrick, you have to explain why he was relieved and happy. He says he's happy because 
As he writes, we knew we had been guilty, but now we had a way to atone for it. We would accept our life mandate, and we would work for our brothers gladly and willingly, and we would erase our sin against them, which they did not know, but we knew. So we were happy. Wow, he really has been indoctrinated. Well, that's the only life he knows. And actually, Joan, he continues to write about this life he knows. And while it's pretty dreary and gray, it's not all just work and home and sleep. He actually describes an average day for his society. Well, they get up when the bell rings. They have a half hour to eat. Then they go sweep the streets for five hours. Then they come back. When the bell rings. That's right. They have another half hour to eat. Then they go back out. When the bell rings. (laughs) Yep. For another five hours. Then they come back. This time they have an hour for this meal. And then the bell rings. And then they go on to their social meeting. And Patrick, tell me about these social meetings. Well, the social meeting consists of lectures and speeches by some of their leaders about their duties to their brother man. They sing hymns to brotherhood and equality and the collective spirit. And then the bell rings. (laughs) Off they go to the city theater for three hours of social recreation. Mm -hmm. Joan, social recreation? There's a play put on by the choruses from the home of the actors. Well, naturally. Of course. What's that great play about, Joan? The plays are about toil and how good it is. Naturally. (laughs) (laughs) And then they go back home, walking in straight columns, and they all go to bed. And Joan, the sleeping halls are white and clean and bare of all things, Save 100 beds. And you just know now that that's how it was when they were in the home of the infants, and that's how it's going to be until they die. And Patrick, that's the regimented life he lived for the next four years at the House of the Sweepers. But even in the midst of this strict life, he hadn't quite conformed to the rest of his society. He was still very curious and very inquisitive. That's right. As a street sweeper or garbage collector, he had an opportunity to pick up discarded things, particularly from around the home of the scholars, things like glass vials and pieces of metal and discarded laboratory-type stuff, which he would like to work with, but he had no place to keep these items. And as he says, we wish to keep these things and to study them, but we had no place to hide them, so we carried them to the city cesspool. And then we made the discovery. And actually here, the we is being used collectively for Hmm. once. Well, Joan, who's the we this time and what discovery did they make? Well, the we is actually another street sweeper who equality considered almost a friend, which in their world means that they made eye contact every once in a while. That's right. Let's be clear. You're not really supposed to have friends because that means you are preferring one person over another person. And that's against the law. That wouldn't be right. Right. But nevertheless, Equality 72521 gets along with International 48818. And together they were out doing their job by the city cesspool and they saw an old rusty iron bar sticking up among the weeds. Of course, they went to pull it out and to their astonishment, that old iron bar was part of an old iron grill that covered up a big black hole. I'm going to guess that Equality 72521 wanted to go down this hole, but International 48818 didn't want to go down this hole. <laughs> My well, right? I don't know what International 4888 wanted, but he knew the rules, and he said it is forbidden. But Equality comes back and says, the council does not know of this hole, so it cannot be forbidden. Ah, but International 48818 countered with, since the council does not know of this hole... There can be no law permitting to enter it, and everything which is not permitted by law is forbidden. And of course, equality says, but we shall go nonetheless. And amazingly, 
International 48818. Stood by him. Well, Patrick, is this his tunnel? Well, it leads to his tunnel. This is a shaft going down and down and down, and it opens into a big tunnel, which Equality 7 2521 doesn't quite recognize, but we as readers quickly figure out that he's in an old abandoned subway tunnel. But he does realize that it was a place left over from the unmentionable times before the Great Rebirth. And actually, it confirms for him that there was an unmentionable times. As he says, so it was true, and those times had been, and all the wonders of those times. Hundreds upon hundreds of years ago, men knew secrets which we have lost. And then we as readers really realize for the first time now how we are reading a book about a society far, far, far in the future, but well behind the world in which we live in now. That's right. But, Joan, equality has to deal with the world he's in. And when Mm -hmm. he comes out of that tunnel back into what passes for light in their world, (laughs) he has to have a pretty tough conversation with International 48818. Well, International says we shall report our find to the city council, and both of us will be rewarded. And he gets quite a surprising response from Equality 72521, even a surprise to Equality himself. That's right. Equality says, our voice was hard and there was no mercy in our voice. We said, we shall not report our fine to the city council. We shall not report it to any men. It sounds pretty risky. In fact, International raises his hands to his ears (laughs) to not hear these sounds, for never had they heard such words as these. That's right. And he continues, International 48818, will you report us to the council and see us lashed to death before your eyes? And Joan finally international speaks. They stood straight of a sudden and they answered, rather we would die. It really gives me goosebumps because you realize in that world they would die and it would be ugly. They literally each had the life of the other in their hands. Mm -hmm. But it turned out to be the right call for equality 72521 because international 48818 never said a word. And that began his nightly visits to the tunnel. That's right. As equality tells us, each night when the stars are high and the street sweepers sit in the city theater, he steals out and runs through the darkness to the tunnel. It's easy to leave the theater when the candles are blown and the actors come onto the stage. No eyes can see us as we crawl under our seat and under the cloth of the tent. And it's while he's down in the tunnel that not only has he been writing his history for us, He's now completely indulging his curiosity. That's right. He's taken to stealing things from the home of the scholars, knives, flints, chemicals, manuscripts. He even collects the carcasses of dead animals and dissects them down in his tunnel. He's just hungry for knowledge. And he does it all knowing that he's breaking the law. He says, strange are the ways of evil. We are false in the faces of our brother. We are defying the will of our counsels. We alone, of the thousands who walk this earth, we alone in this hour are doing a work which has no purpose save that we wish to do it. And yet there is no shame in us and no regret. Joan, there's not even any fear. He could be put to death at any moment if he was found doing any of these things. Absolutely, but as he writes, in our heart there is the first peace we have known in 20 years. Well, Patrick, his heart might know the first peace it's known in 20 years. But it's about to feel something else, isn't it? And that's going to come from Liberty 5-3000. Hmm. Tell me about Liberty 5-3000. Well, I'll tell you how he describes her. Ah, female. <laughs> Their body was straight and thin as a blade of iron. Their eyes were dark and hard and glowing, with no fear in them, no kindness and no guilt. Their hair was golden as the sun. Their hair flew in the wind, shining and wild as if it defied men to restrain it. Joan, surely equality has seen women before. 
Well, yes, he has seen the female gender before, but men and women are forbidden to take notice of each other in this world, where they're really not even allowed to have friends. But Liberty 53000 has captured his heart. Patrick, how did this come about? Well, one day Equality's sweeping one of the roads that leads out of town near the agricultural fields, and he spots Liberty 53000, who belongs to the home of the peasants, their farmers. And he spots her as she's sowing seeds in the field one day. And she spots him. That's right. We're quickly made aware that this appears to be a mutual attraction. But they only know that through their eyes. Because, of course, they're forbidden to talk to each other. And Equality is even taken to referring to her in his own mind as the Golden One. Which, of course, is another sin he's piling on top of all of his others. The idea of singling somebody out with their own name, of course, that is forbidden. Right. He calls it his second transgression of preference because, of course, he was already friendly with International 488 That's correct. Now he's showing preference for another individual. Right. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But Patrick, he goes on breaking laws, and as he eventually tells us, we've broken so many laws, and today we broke one more. Today we spoke to the Golden One. Well, he comes right to the point and says, You are beautiful, Liberty 5-3000. Joan, not a bad opening line for an amateur. (laughs) That's right. And clearly she's happy to hear it, and she asks for his name. Right. And then they ask a couple more questions about each other. And then, without knowing why, suddenly Equality 72521 is worried about just how old she is. And he asks her. And what does she tell him? Well, she's 17. He's relieved. Well, Patrick, why is he relieved to learn that Liberty 5-3000 is only 17 years old? Well, as Equality told us in his writings, the law says that men may not think of women save at the time of mating. This is the time each spring when all men older than 20 and all women older than 18 are sent for one night to the city palace of mating. And each of the men have one of the women assigned to them by the Council of Eugenics. Children are born each winter, but women never see their children, and the children never know their parents. Twice have we been sent to the palace of mating, but it is an ugly and shameful matter of which we do not like to think. So obviously, equality is relieved that his golden one has not yet been sent to the palace of mating. And it's clear in the novel that she understands why he's asking her about her age. That's right. Yes, and we know that because when he asked her that, she lowered her eyes for the first time. Well, Patrick, he may not know why he's happy, but he sure is happy. He's so happy, he sings in the dining hall, which almost gets him into more trouble. Of course, you're not allowed to sing unless you are a singer or live in the home of actors or you're at one of the social meetings. But fortunately, his singing is misconstrued as just being happy to be living with his brothers. Because, of course, how else can men be when they live for their brothers? Happy. And it is, of course, forbidden not to be happy. (laughs) That's right. So all men must be happy. But, Joan, clearly the happier that equality feels, the more he realizes just how sad and unhappy the rest of the individuals in this society are. Yes, he writes about when they all go to sleep at night in the home in the street sweepers. He can feel fear in the air, and his brother's shoulders are hunched and their muscles are drawn. And he even talks of two other brothers in the hall who... 
in the middle of the night often end up in sobbing convulsions or screaming out for help, and no doctor has ever been able to help them. What is this fear that they all have? Well, it's a fear, as he writes, that his brothers dare not speak the thoughts of their minds, for all must agree with all, and they cannot know if their thoughts are the thoughts of all, and so they fear to speak. They're all individuals, and they all know that they can't ever talk to anybody about that. And Joan Patrick, it's about this time in our novel that Equality 72521 tells us a little bit about the uncharted forest and then really tells us about the unmentionable times. Well, the forest is just, of course, a forest on the edge of town, which no one is allowed to go to and no one would go to, of course, because the stories are that if you go into that forest, you'll never come out alive. And it is whispered that these forests have grown over the ruins of many cities of the unmentionable times. And Patrick, that leads equality to a discussion about the unmentionable times. What does he tell us? Well, the unmentionable times came to an end with what they call the Great Rebirth, which followed the legends of this great fighting. There's discussion of the evil ones who were defeated and burned. And the fire, which is called the dawn of the great rebirth, was the script fire, where all the scripts of the evil ones were burned, and with them all the words of the evil ones. And actually, it's the loss of the words that seems to trouble equality the most. He keeps repeating, the words of the evil ones, the words of the unmentionable times. As he writes, there is some word, one single word, which is not in the language of men, but which has been. And this is the unspeakable word. But Joan, he goes beyond just telling us about this unspeakable word. He tells us about an incident where a man was burned to death for actually using this unmentionable word. Oh, he tells us a terrible story. Yes, the transgressor. And he is dragged into the city square for this public burning. And it's clear that his tongue has been cut out. So this transgressor will never say this word again. And of course, they chain him to the pyre and burn him. But as they're doing it, Equality 72521 feels the eyes of this man burning into him. And he knows that that man is trying to pass that word onto him. Joan, even in the memory of this horrific scene... Equality still wonders, as he writes, even if we have to burn for it like the saint of the pyre, what is the unspeakable word? Right. He is certainly aware, and we are even more aware, of the danger that he's in with his thoughts, but he will not allow himself to stop thinking those thoughts. And Patrick, while Equality 72521 doesn't discover the unspeakable word this time, he does tell us that he spends hours in the tunnel doing experiments and, as he says, melting strange metals and mixing acids and cutting open the bodies of animals that we find in the city cesspool. So his curiosity about nature and about the nature of things continues unabated. And eventually, he actually rediscovers electricity. He writes, After more days and trials than we can count, we finish building a strange thing from the remains of the unmentionable times, a box of glass. And when we put our wires to this box, when we closed the current, the wire glowed. It came to life. A circle of light lay on the stone before us. That's right, Patrick. After years of experiments in this tunnel, he succeeded in turning on an old light bulb that he had found in the tunnel. Right. What is he going to do with this? He realizes he can't keep this secret to himself, and it must be shared with all men. So, fortunately, the World Council of Scholars are meeting in his town next month, and he's going to take that opportunity to present the discovery to them. So, Joan, he only has to keep his discovery secret about 30 days until the World Council of Scholars meets. How do those 30 days pass for Equality 7, 25, 21? Well, unfortunately, they were passed in the stone room under the Palace of Corrective Detention. What happened? Well, as you can imagine, he was pretty excited that night, and he didn't pay attention to the time. So he got back late 
and of course was caught. Caught by the council of the home where he lived. That's right. And they, of course, demanded to know where he had been. And of course, he refused. But he paid the price. Patrick, what was that price? He was ordered to be taken to the palace of corrective detention and lashed until he should reveal where he had been. But amazingly, he does not reveal his secret. He knows he just has to survive for 30 days and he can get to that Council of World Scholars. And isn't that exactly what he does? Despite the pain and torture he's been experiencing, he's been counting every single day. And at 30 days, he knows he has to somehow get out of the palace of corrective detention. And actually, it turned out to be easy to escape because... There were no guards because no one had ever tried to escape before. And so he just walked out. And Patrick, as soon as he leaves the Palace of Corrective Detention, he goes right back to his tunnel, gathers up his light and his wires, and heads off to the World Council of Scholars. His hope is that the scholars will see the benefit of this discovery, and that will be taken into consideration, even though he's violated so many laws by working alone in the tunnel. Well, Joan, is he in trouble or is he a success? (laughs) He's in trouble. Uh Uh-oh. As you might imagine by now, the World Council of Scholars are into the rules of this society, so they are not thrilled to find a street sweeper who has had the gumption to think for himself, let alone discover anything that might be useful to their society. How dared you, gutter cleaner, to hold yourself as one alone with the thoughts of one and not of many? Said Fraternity 9-3452. And Democracy 4-6998 says... You shall be burned at the stake. No, they shall be lashed, said Unanimity 73304, till there is nothing left under the lashes. It's really awful, but the amazing thing is Equality 72521 is so convinced of the goodness of his discovery that he cries out to them, Brothers, you are right. Let the will of the council be done upon our body. We do not care. But the light, what will you do with the light? Unanimity 299.13 says it took 50 years to secure the approval of all the councils for the candle. We cannot alter the plans again so soon. And as Similarity 50306 says, If this should lighten the toil of men, then it is a great evil, for men have no cause to exist save in the toiling for other men. This thing, they said, must be destroyed. Right. And with that, Equality 7521 grabs that light, jumps out the window, and starts running towards the uncharted forest. And Joan, as Equality 72521 tells us, it's dark here in the forest, but the moss is soft and warm. We shall sleep on this moss for many nights till the beasts of the forest come to tear our body. Right, because of course he knows nobody has ever survived in the uncharted forest. And as he lays there waiting for death, his only real regret, the only pain he says he suffers, is the thought that he will never see the golden one again. Imagine his surprise when he wakes up in the morning. That's right, Frank. He's awakened by a ray of sunlight through the trees. He gets up and he's walking through the forest. He's hungry, so he sees a bird, which he kills and eats for the tastiest meal of his life. He gets a drink of water from a forest stream where he sees his own reflection. He sees his face for the first time in his life. And he starts to have a feeling of power and independence. Certainly personal satisfaction. He can survive. That's right. But Joan, something actually does come out of the forest. Only it's not a wild beast. The golden one. The girl? (laughs) Yep. She had heard about his escape. The whole city was talking about it. And she just decided to follow him. As she tells him, she literally followed the marks of his feet across the plain where no men walk. We have followed you, she said, and we shall follow you wherever you go. If danger threatens you, we shall face it also. 
If it be death, we shall die with you. And without knowing quite why, he took Golden One in his arms and pressed her lips to his. We had lived 21 years and had never known what joy is possible to men. And they were happy. And Joan, of course, now Equality 72521 has no intention of allowing the forest to take his life. He wants to live and he wants to live with the Golden One. And that's what they do. They set about to learn how to survive. And yet, as happy as the two of them now are, there still is a problem between them. They don't have the words to tell each other just how they feel. That's right. The Golden One comes to him one day and says, earnestly but haltingly, we are one, alone and only, and we love you who are one, alone and only. And the two of them feel like somehow that declaration isn't enough, but they don't know what's missing. Patrick, they may not have found the words they want, but they do make a remarkable find. Right, well, after a long time of wandering through the uncharted forests, crossing mountain ranges, Equality and the Golden One discover a house, which appears to be left over from the unmentionable times. Which they said was thousands of years ago. Right, and at first they think it to be an exceptionally small house. They're used to homes for 100 people to sleep in. That's right, 100 beds and a white room. So this house seems small. They think only maybe a dozen or so people could sleep in this house. But then they only find one bedroom and two beds, and they realize this was a home for only two people to live in. It's beyond their comprehension. It passes understanding, as he told us. And Patrick, it's a furnished house. Hmm. That's right, and most importantly, it's furnished with a library. Well, (laughs) the golden one might say most importantly it was furnished with clothes and a mirror. She does come to like that mirror. (laughs) Yes, she does. But Patrick, for Equality 72521, it's all about the books. And the unspeakable word. He found it? He did. He starts a new chapter with, I am, I think, I will. It's I. He knows he is one person. He's not a we, he's an I. I wish to know the meaning of things. I ask none to live for me, nor do I live for any others. I covet no man's soul, nor is my soul theirs to covet. I shall choose friends among men, but neither slaves nor masters. And I shall choose only such as please me, and them I shall love and respect, but neither command nor obey. And then he goes on to realize what we really means then. And we shall join our hands when we wish, or walk alone when we so desire. In fact, he writes, this word must never be placed first within man's soul, else it becomes a monster, the root of all evils on earth. I am done with the monster of we, the word of serfdom, of plunder, of misery, falsehood, and shame. And as a reader, it's so refreshing to read this paragraph because it was so hard to understand one person thinking of himself as we. It was so confusing, and now you feel the freedom that he feels. And Joan, as soon as he comes to this knowledge, he needs to share it, and he shares it immediately with the golden one. He does, and she finally understands, and she says to him, I love you. That's the word she was looking for as well. Of course, they all are. That's what's been taken away from them all. And Patrick, for Equality 72521, the learning continues. As he says, it's not proper for men to be without names. There was a time when each man had a name of his own to distinguish him from all other men. So he chooses a name for himself. And not surprisingly, he picks the name Prometheus, the bringer of light. That's right. Fortunately, this was a classical library that he stumbled upon. And Joan, he has a name for the golden one as well. Yes, he had read of a goddess who was the mother of the earth and of all the gods. Her name was Gaia. And he means for her to be the mother of a new world literally. Yes, well, almost immediately Gaia is pregnant, so they now have another world that they can build. 
and Prometheus has decided that he is going to build up this world for he and his family and then go back to, as he said, the cursed city of my birth and get his friends and bring them back to this real world and live happily ever after. And they shall write the first chapter in the new history of man. And Prometheus believes now that he was chosen by the saint of the pyre who had died for the same cause, for the same word. And he knew that when men knew the truth, that they would eventually make themselves free. And Joan Patrick, that's essentially how our novel ends, with Prometheus and Gaia looking towards the future where all men are free and allowed to live as they wish. That's right. Yes. Now, of course, Joan Patrick, during our conversation, we were not able to mention every character or get to every scene in our novel. So if there's a particular character you want to mention or perhaps a quote you want to read, now's your chance. Joan, do you have something? Yes, there's a simple little discovery Prometheus makes when he's first in the forest before the Golden One has even shown up. And it's when he had actually killed a bird for a meal. And he said, no meal had ever tasted better to us. And we thought suddenly that there was a great satisfaction to be found in the food in which we need and obtain by our own hand. And we wished to be hungry again and soon that we might know again this strange new pride in eating. And that struck me because, of course, fortunately, we live in a world nothing like the cursed city of his birth. But we do live in a world where we forget some things like where our food comes from and how to literally take care of our basic needs. And it is satisfying when you actually plant your own vegetables and you make your own food. I agree. There's so many aspects of our life that we've given over to other people to manage for us or to do for us that when we take that opportunity to do something for ourselves, the satisfaction that comes can be amazing. Is really satisfying. <laughs> Patrick, do you have something? Yes. Towards the end of the book, you really have a sense that Prometheus hmm. is looking forward, hopefully, to the future. He writes, Through the years ahead, I shall rebuild the achievements of the past and open the way to carry them further, the achievements which are open to me but closed forever to my brothers, for their minds are shackled to the weakest and dullest among them. So he realizes that society doesn't have to be shackled to the lowest common denominator. Excellence can rise to the top. And society's success depends upon that. For society to win, we need winners. That's right. Rewarding the man who discovers the electric light bulb doesn't harm anyone who hasn't discovered it. They all benefit from it. Thank goodness. That's right. I have a quote here that I'd like to read that I think sums up a good part of this novel. At first, man was enslaved by the gods, but he broke their chains. Then he was enslaved by the kings, but he broke their chains. He was enslaved by his birth, by his kin, by his race, but he broke their chains. He declared to all his brothers that a man has rights which neither God nor king nor other men can take away from him, no matter what their number. For his is the right of man, and there is no right on earth above this right. And he stood on the threshold of freedom for which the blood of the centuries behind him had been spilled. I'd like to follow that up with another powerful quote from Ayn Rand at the end where she goes on to say, Through all the darkness, through all the shame of which men are capable, the spirit of man will remain alive on this earth. It may sleep, but it will awaken. It may wear chains, but it will break through. And man will go on. Man, not men. Exactly. And Prometheus goes on to say, And the day will come when I shall break the chains of the earth and raise the cities of the enslaved. And my home will become the capital of a world where each man will be free to exist for his own sake. And it's on that hopeful note of a world where man will not be dominated by men that will end today's discussion about the novel Anthem by Ayn Rand. Joan, Patrick, I want to thank you both for coming in and having this discussion with me today. You're very welcome. Frank. You're welcome, Frank. Joining me now for endnotes on today's conversation is our researcher, Ted Schwartz. Hello, Ted. Hi, Frank. Ted, this book was published in Great Britain in 1938. 
but it wasn't published in America until 1946. I understand that's because the American editors believed Ayn Rand didn't know what she was talking about when it came to socialism? Well, at least one editor. What that editor didn't realize is that she was 12 years old when she watched the first deaths from the Russian Revolution. The following year, her parents fled with her to Ukraine. She eventually came to the United States when she was 21, 1926. She was very much aware of the violence and the socialist movement. And Ted, it's because of those early childhood experiences that allowed her to know in 1938 what really the rest of the world didn't come to know until after the war, 46, 47, 48. Yes, and in 1947, she wrote, Some might think, though I don't, that nine years ago there was some excuse for men not to see the direction in which the world was going. Today, the evidence is so blatant that no excuse can be claimed by anyone any longer. Well, Ted, further on in that speech, she has even harsher words for anyone who would be considered an apologist for collectivist thought. Yes, she said, They expect, when they find themselves in a world of bloody ruins and concentration camps, to escape moral responsibility by wailing, But I didn't mean this. <laughs> and Ted, she also equates what we might call a state-mandated serfdom with slavery. Now, to an American ear, that sounds a little confusing. Yes, what she said specifically was those who want slavery should have the grace to name it by its proper name. But when we think of slavery, we think of one person owning another person's body, his work. What Ayn Rand is getting to is that the state wants to own your thoughts as well. Yes, that's right, Frank. And she said she got the idea for Anthem back in her school days in Russia. As she put it, I heard all the vicious attacks on individualism and asked myself what the world would be like if men lost the word I. Ted, I find it amazing that even at 12, Ayn Rand understood the importance of individual thought. Yes, and later when she wrote Anthem, that actually was not the original title. She originally called it Ego. And then she chose Anthem because that was her hymn to the individual. And a powerful hymn it is. Ted, thank you very much for bringing your endnotes to today's conversation about the novel Anthem by Ayn Rand. Always a pleasure, Frank. I also want to thank our Novel Conversations readers, Joan and Patrick Andrews. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo. Today I had a conversation about the novel Anthem by Ayn Rand. Until next time, I hope you find yourself in a novel conversation. Hello, everyone. My name is Tom Kearns, and I host the Anglo-Saxon England podcast, where I cover the history and culture of England from the departure of the Romans in the 5th century to the Norman Conquest in 1066. So far, we've surveyed the collapse of Roman rule in Britain, the migration of the Anglo-Saxons, and the history of Northumbria from its beginnings in the mists of legend to its destruction at the hands of Viking raiders in the 9th century. I hope you'll come and give it a go. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.